lies within the trails we ride. You're listening to the Journey On Podcast with Warwick Schiller. Warwick is a horseman, trainer, international clinician, and author who helps empower horse people from all over the world with the skills, knowledge, and mindsets needed to create trusting partnerships with their horses. Warwick offers a free seven-day trial to his comprehensive online video library that includes hundreds of full-length training videos and several home study courses at videos.warwickschiller.com. Just because you see G'day everyone, welcome back to the Journey On Podcast. I'm your host Warwick Schiller and today I, uh, I'm going to do something I haven't done before. I'm going to interview somebody who I found because they have a podcast. So my guest today is a guy named Mike Roberts and he's a native of Louisiana and he's a property developer. Uh, Mike was an athlete in college, played baseball and uh, didn't really get into horses until he was in his 30s and now he has a podcast that he calls The Converse Cowboy. So The Converse is his Converse shoes from uh, when he was an athlete and The Cowboy is the cowboy hat he wears. And mostly he interviews people who are in the performance horse industry in Texas. So mostly uh, rain cow horse and cutting horse trainers. He also has some musicians on there and every once in a while he'll have a, a, a guest who's outside those kind of parameters there. But he also has an Instagram channel, and Instagram is where I first saw this Converse cowboy dude, and he, and he, he just, in, the, in his uh, Instagram posts, he will just be standing in a field somewhere holding his big white poster board with something inspirational written on it. And from looking at um, the inspirational things he writes on there, I could tell he's Quite, well, I thought he was quite well read and has probably done some inner work. And so I thought, yeah, he'd be a great, great guest to have on the podcast. And I'm so glad I had him on there because he, he's done a way more inner work than I have and um, is very well read too. And uh, yeah, pretty cool guy spreading a really cool message out to the world, sharing, sharing a, a great message. So I hope you guys enjoy this uh, conversation as much as I did with Mike Roberts, a.k.a. The Converse Cowboy. Mike Roberts, a.k.a. The Converse Cowboy. Welcome to the Journey on Podcast. All right, man. Thank you for having me. How's it feel to be on the other end? You're used to doing the podcasting. How's it feel to be on the uh, questioning end of the line? You know, I kind of enjoy it from time to time just to see what it feels like, um, you know, from my guests that come on the show here. So, yeah, I enjoy it. Oh, that's cool. So, yeah, I, this is going to be interesting because I know – nothing about you and you know pretty much nothing about me either so you know i've seen your you have a um a podcast but you also post a lot on instagram under the converse cowboy and most of it is a you sitting in a field somewhere holding a big white sign that you've you've mm-hmm. written something on and i'll i might read a few of them out for people uh right now like let's go to instagram you're sitting there and it says if you knew how close you were you'd move even faster Next one says, why you should be kind to people. And there's a circle that says someone's problem. There's a little thing over the side that says what you know about it. Uh, Another one says, life is a funny way of giving grateful people even more things to be grateful for. The strongest people are those that win battles we know nothing about. So, you know, it's a lot of philosophical stuff. uh, But you're the Converse cowboy. You wear these Converse tennis shoes, got a cowboy hat on. And so you must have some sort of interesting story. What is what is your story? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know if we have enough time to 
go into it, but um, the Converse part, I guess, came long before the cowboy part. I didn't, I didn't get into horses until I was probably in my early 30s. Grew up playing sports, you know, grew up playing baseball all the way through college. And uh, we had a farm growing up, though. My grandparents had a farm and horses from time to time, more so like backyard horse people, you know, not horsemen of any kind. So I, I look back on that. And I am grateful that I did not get into horses then. I wanted to. I, I, I just, whatever reason, like I was drawn to horses. I always asking my parents for horses. And again, glad that they did not oblige my request. But just, I got into it later in life. And uh, I, I feel like I struggle now, like in the, in the cutting horse pen. But I, was, I had a cutting horse trainer on the show yesterday, Jose Cruz. And we talked about this because he... He got into the horse game later in life too, um, but I feel like those people that have done, that have been around livestock their entire life, they have the like an instinct, you know, the innate ability to just read cattle or read a horse's mood or whatever it may be. Whereas I have to catch up, you know. I felt that way with baseball. I grew up playing baseball, and so I, I, I wasn't the fastest. I wasn't. I didn't throw the hardest or hit the ball the furthest, but I knew the game you know, and I could understand it. And so that's why I would lead the team in stolen bases because I just knew the game so well. And so, um, I got off, I got off from, from your question, but, um, yeah, the Converse Cowboy, the podcast itself, it, it came at a time where it was very dark time in, in my life. Um, and it was kind of an outlet. It was a, a, a platform for my own personal growth you know, and the why behind uh, me doing the show was just that, very selfishly, um, to sit down, I'm just curious by nature. And so it was to sit down with people um, that I looked up to or I was just curious about and to genuinely have a conversation with them. And, and because we don't do that often in society. Uh, it's not often where we just get to sit for an hour and pick somebody's brain or, or have a, what I call a genuine conversation. It's so interesting to me. Once I started doing the show, the conversations that I would find myself in, you know, and, and, uh, because as a host, I'm piloting this thing and I somewhat get to direct which way we go with it. And, um, just so honored and grateful for the, every guest that I've had on the show, um, to, to show up and deliver and, and what I've learned through uh, many, many interviews is that we're all just human, no matter what level of success the person sitting across from me has had, they're still a human and we all face challenges and obstacles. And um, sometimes we, we take for granted um, or we maybe overlook uh, some of the failures quote that, uh, it took to get there. Some of the obstacles they had to overcome to get to where they are, you know? And so I'm, I'm a human. And so I'm guilty of playing the comparison game, just like everybody else is, but we truly never know what somebody else had to go through to get to where they're at. And so it's been a cool journey. It's been fun. And, uh, and uh, yeah, I look forward to, to continuing to, to do the thing. So you said that you didn't start out, um, you know, you didn't get into horses till you were in your thirties. Is your interest these days like everybody seems like most people you interview are either in the 
cutting horse game, the cow horse, or they're like rancher types. Are you uh, are you currently like competing in in an event? Is is that what you're up to? Yep. Or wanting yep. to? I uh, I got into the cutting horse game uh, about three years ago. Um, when I first started riding, I, I got into the team roping game, and uh, that is not, no offense any team ropers out there, but that is not uh, where you're going to learn a whole lot about horsemanship. And so I, uh, I quickly gravitated towards the cow horse on a very amateur level, um, played around with that for a little bit, and then I got into um, cutting and like most everybody else that's in cutting, I became very addicted to it. And so, um, yeah, that's what I'm, that's what I'm, I'm doing now. Still on a very amateur level. Still a very amateur level. Yeah. Uh, you said that you played baseball through college and stuff. What did you study at college? Baseball. What I tell people. I, uh, <laughs> I got a degree. I got a piece of paper that says general studies on it. Um, I played Juco ball up in Kansas for a year and when I transferred to the four-year, not all my credits transferred for a business degree, and uh, so I ended up with general studies. So what, once you graduated, what did you, what did you do then? Man, that was one of those times, uh, uh, another dark time in my life. Uh, I feel like most athletes can relate to this at some point in their, their career where you're told uh, you're not good enough to play anymore. That's all I knew my entire life was baseball. You know, that's what I had uh, identified as was a baseball player. And so when I got done, man, I was so lost. Like, I just didn't know what to do. And uh, so that took some time. But I, uh, I inevitably en- ended up chasing money. And uh, I started out, I had some friends that got into the pharmaceutical sales. And uh, I started trying to go down that road. And did a lot of interviews and went and got bought a suit, you know, and did the whole uh, corporate game. And I just kept, I kept getting told no and doors shut on me and they're like, yeah, we, we like you kid. And yeah, this cool background, but how do we know you are what you say you are? And so I had to go get sales experience. And uh, so I moved to Dallas and started selling office supplies and, uh, very much like what was the, what is the Michael Scott uh, off uh, the office, very similar to that. And so I got my experience. I I'll, I'll fast forward this story because it's not very glamorous or sexy. But so I got my sales experience and I kept on the pharmaceutical trail. I ended up landing a gig there in Dallas. Moved to Austin. Austin from Austin, I got transferred back to Louisiana. So that is home for me is Monroe, Louisiana, and. Uh, I realized then that the pharmaceutical game was very volatile and people get laid off all the time. And so I was like, shit, man, I need a backup plan. I need in case something happens, I need something to fall back on. And so I started um, for whatever reason, I don't know how it happened, but I got interested in real estate investing. And I read a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad uh, mm-hmm. by Robert, Robert Kiyosaki. Yeah. Yeah. And I highly recommend that book for anybody, even if you're not into real estate, because that book didn't tell me how to buy real estate. That book shifted my mindset. It 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 essentially I unlearned everything that I had learned my entire life on how how you can make money and how you can do what you truly love to do and not have to go work nine to five to do it. And so I just started buying houses, man, one after another. 
and you know, fast forward a few years, I was able to walk away from the pharmaceutical game, and I now do that full time. Uh, was that the was you said that book, Rich Dad Poor Dad, kind of changed your outlook on things? Had you had you been much of a reader? Because I think you're probably a bit of a voracious reader now. But had you read books? of that type before, like books that'll change your mindset, books that'll make you see the world a bit differently. Had you uh, experienced much of that before? Or was that your first? Yeah. So in college, no, you're, you're out, you're right. I never read, I don't, I didn't open a book in college. And once I got out, I read a book called Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Mm-hmm. Another one of those just game changers. And, uh, always like just fascinated with the mindset as it related to performance you know as an as an athlete and playing and um which which is a thing now like every professional organization now has a quote mental skills coach or a psych psychologist on staff you know um but yeah i was always just fascinated by the law of attraction and and just um everything that relates to, to our mind. And, and at that time it was performance related and I've since moved into just all kinds of different books. I mean, I'm not going to narrow it down to a genre, but everything is, it relates to just being a human, I guess. And I think there's a lot of overlap, right? Performance in an arena, performance as a musician, performance as an author, whatever it is, I think it is very um, relatable. It goes for both performance and just everyday life. Cause that's the thing. We have this brain, we have this mind that never stops turning, you know? And so for me, it's like, I'm using this tool to learn more about this tool, you know? Right. It sounds like your first forays into money, but it sounds like you, you, you've kind of looked at things a bit differently from that, you know, to, to quote uh, Mike Tyson, Anybody who thinks have a lot of money will make you happy, ain't never had a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you've, you've veered off into more philosophical things. So what came first? Did the, the Instagram account with holding the interesting signs up come first or did the Converse Cowboy podcast come first? The podcast came first. Yeah, that's what, like I was anti-social media um, before I had the podcast and I probably still would be if I didn't have it, uh, you know, if I didn't have the podcast, yeah, I just stayed away from it. And so with the podcast came content creation like this, which I enjoy doing. I enjoy the, the content creation. Um, but no, I, I was, oh, I'm, I still am. I, I identify as an introvert. I, I do see the value in being an extrovert at times. Um, but that was my thing. I wanted to know, like I was asking myself, like, how can I get a message out to a lot of people and not really have to tell it, talk, you know, I just don't want to have to speak. It's very uncomfortable for me to do that. And I never want to come across as a guru. You know, there's so many quote gurus on, out in social media land nowadays, and I never want it to feel like I'm preaching. And that's why I will most often, if I do write something, um, a caption, below those quotes because what those quotes are for me is a it's a journal prompt really for me to explore whoever it was that wrote it and to put my own interpretation to it and really explore my own mind and so actually i just started a newsletter um called thursday thoughts with converse cowboy and uh so now those captions that i would put on instagram or facebook now go to the newsletter 
I'm still going to continue to do the poster quotes, but um, yeah, the, that's a long answer to your question. But yeah, the, the podcast came first and then the poster quotes just came as a byproduct of creating content to build a following. Right. So we, we chatted a little bit before we came on today and regular podcast listeners would know that I send my guests 20 questions that I mostly stole from Dave Asprey's Game Changers book. I think it was Dave Asprey's case. It's been so long since I stole the thing. I can't remember where I stole it from. Uh, and I usually have people choose questions. And you you elected not to choose any questions and just kind of go with the flow. But you just said a minute ago about, you know, I wanted to have a way to spread a message. And one of those questions in those 20 questions is if you had a message to spread to the world, one that people would listen to, what would it be? There's a book called A Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Mm-hmm. He was a Holocaust survivor. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a quote in there, and I'm, I'm sure I'm going to do a good job of butchering his quote. But it says, the last of the human freedoms is our ability to choose our own attitude in any given situation. And so I think that would be it, just to know that you have a choice. Like you can wake up and you can choose to be grateful. You know, whereas it's so easy, you know, I feel like... The negative is all around us. The negative is easy. It's easy to blame other people. It's easy to find the negative. But truly, the fact that you and I are talking right now, and you're in California, and I'm right here in Texas, like, there's so many, like, when you truly look for the good, and you look for reasons to be grateful, there's so much easier to find. And so that that would be it. You can choose your own attitude in any given situation. That's coming, that quote's coming from a guy who watched his friends die in gas chambers, walking through snow with no shoes or boots with holes in them. Like, come on. Our problems aren't as bad as we think they are. Right. I think before we came on the podcast, I was telling you that I did a, a, an episode of the podcast called Books That Have Influenced Me. And I think uh, pretty sure I've done two of them, but I'm pretty sure it was the first one that, that, that uh, Men's Search for Meaning was in there. And I actually, those qu- those 20 questions, they came from, was it, no, it was a Tim Ferriss book, I think. Tribe of Mentors. Tribe of Mentors. Thank you. That's it. And he sent out 20 questions. And, and basically, this might have been during COVID, but they emailed back, you know, they chose whichever question they wanted to answer, whether one of the questions sent three or four or one. And they emailed him back and he compiled all the answers into a book. And the question, what's your favorite book, the most common answer was, Man's Search for Meaning by Victor Frankl. I think it was over, there was 300 people that he'd interviewed and, and that book was the number one book. Uh, it was the most common book. Out of, out of the 300 people, that one clocked up the most choices uh, out, of, out, of all the, out of all the books. Um, the other, the other uh, part of that question, that question says, you know, if you had, uh, what is your... What is your message? If you could deliver a message to the world, what would it be? And or your favorite quote. So do you have a favorite quote or is that Victor Frankl quote your favorite quote? No, I think my favorite quote is one by Ray Ray Wally Hubbard. And uh, he says, the days I keep my gratitude higher than my expectations. I have really good days. Ray Wally Hubbard. Isn't he a singer? Yeah. Singer songwriter. Yeah. Like a like a Bob Dylan, Woody Guthrie kind of a yeah, great, yeah, great description, yeah. 
Yeah. So what's, what's that quote again? That was cool. The days I keep my gratitude higher than my expectations, I have really good days. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's pretty cool. You know, there's a lot to say about, about gratitude if you're into, like, energy and, and things like that. Like, the, the energy of the emotion of gratitude is, um, is pretty powerful. And, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of people uh, talk about that. Uh, next question I have for you, just off the top of my head. I was thinking about those twenty questions. Do you have a, a favorite book that you recommend to people? Like, not necessarily your favorite book, but a book that you, if you're talking to someone, you say, "Hey, you should read this book." Do you have one of them? I think that that my answer would change depending on which week you ask me. But for this mm-hmm. week, I would say "Atomic Habits" by James Clear. Have you mm-hmm. read that one? Um, I have it floating around here. We are. We're in the middle of moving. We've just bought a new property. We're in the middle of moving, and I did see that book in passing somewhere, but I, and I haven't read it yet. But I'm pretty sure it's going to end up in the bottom of a box for a while because you know what moving's like. <laughs> yeah, man, you don't realize how much shit you accumulate till you start moving. Yeah, but, but the thing is, when you get moved, then you know you lose stuff for a while. We actually we moved to Australia um, at the end of 2006, so we took a a 40 foot container. My wife's son, 40-foot container, two dogs and two studs, two horses. And uh, our 40-foot our container didn't arrive till I don't know, three months after we were there or something like that. Uh, and if you ever don't appreciate your stuff, lock it in a box for three months. And, you know, <laughs> open it up again because it was like Christmas, like, oh, I forgot it. I know. No, it wasn't. No, it didn't, it wow, didn't take man. three months I to arrive. That's what it was. I that, folks, that – yeah, that move across the pond. Yeah, that's the way to do it, huh? You put it in a container? Yeah, in a shipping container. Actually, no, what happened was we put our house on the market in August of 2006. And my in-laws, we said, you know, the house would probably take three. We'll, we'll plan on moving at the end of the year, like December, just after Christmas. And we put our house in the market in August, figuring the house will take four or five months to sell. And then we asked the in-laws, could we stay with them after we sell the house? They're like, sure. We got an offer in three days and they wanted a 30-day escrow. So we basically packed up everything into the shipping container at the end of August to move to Australia, but we weren't moving to Australia in January. So we, my wife and son and I lived in, in a bedroom at my in-laws' place and we basically only had the clothes in our back and not much more because everything else was packed up to go to had been put in this shipping container to go to Australia. So we basically didn't have our stuff for probably six months there and it probably didn't arrive to February in Australia. So probably didn't have our stuff for about eight months. And I tell you what, you really get to appreciate the stuff you have when you haven't had it for eight months and you're pulling out of a box <laughs> by Christmas. <laughs> How was it though? Like not having the stuff. I know of course you appreciate it and you know, glad to have it back, but was it kind of nice to declutter a little bit? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, most certainly the Swedish death cleaning. Um, you know, we decluttered yeah. before we went. We, yeah, we went there with a with, uh, 40-foot container, two dogs and two horses and came back with a 20-foot container and two dogs and no horses. So. <laughs> well, that's awesome, that's man. It. Yeah, that's how that goes. Um, so a question I'm dying to ask you is, the the Instagram posts that you have, and you hold up that big whiteboard with the stuff written on it, those 
quotes all kind of give me the impression that you're probably a bit of a deep thinker and quite well read and have done some self-work sort of thing, some inner work, but your podcast, you're interviewing a bunch of horse trainers. And in my experience, horse trainers are not very well read. How do you, Mm -hmm. how do you consolidate those two? Oh, well, I guess I'm, I'm sitting down with them not to, not to get knowledge on the books that they've read, but I'm, I'm trying to gain knowledge more about what they've done in their field, you know, like, um, they are, they are masters of their craft, you know, and that's, that's what they do. Hell, they could probably write a damn book, um, on what it is that they do, you know, or have somebody ghostwrite it for them. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I do, I have horse trainers on, but I also have authors of books. I have musicians on, uh, business owners. Um, so yeah, it's not just, it's not exclusively to horse trainers, although I do, find myself sitting across some horse trainers often. Right. You know, I talk about this a lot in the podcast and at clinics and, and things like that, but, you know, the old saying, the inside of a, well, the outside of a horse is good for the inside of a man. Um, you know, I think there's, there's life lessons you learn from being around horses that you can learn them in other places too. Um, they're kind of universal truths, but... I think being around horses, especially if people haven't been in nature a lot, you know, like we, the, I think the further we get away from from nature, the more removed from self we kind of are. But I think that one of the great things about horses is people involved in horses, they, you know, they learn a lot of lessons they probably couldn't learn other ways. And I bet even though maybe a lot of the, the horse trainers that you interview haven't read a lot of the books that you've read, I bet that the life lessons, I mean, you know, the, I think the lessons would probably land the same. They just didn't learn it from reading the Stoics or whatever, mm-hmm. but they learned it from experience. Have you, 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 do you feel that or find that? No, I would agree. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. Yeah. It's, it's, it's funny that, yeah, just especially mastering their craft like that, you've really got to be able to figure things out, but, yeah, horses really, I think, teach us a great deal of stuff. Um, you said you have people other than horse trainers on, you have uh, musicians. What Would you say there is a, uh, like a mindset that musicians have that horse trainers don't? You know, is, there, is there a different way of looking at the world? You know, because musicians tend to be this, you know, there's something about, something about singing and, movement and music that that i don't know we connect with something deep have you found like there's a common thread with the musicians or anything like that that's a good question um the common thread i think for anybody that i sit down with is they have and i may have mentioned this already but they have overcame some obstacles and they have they have they have showed up consistently with a very focused intent on what it is that they are trying to achieve. Um, now, one of the questions I ask musicians is, how do you determine what is a productive use of your time versus a non-productive use of your time, right? So, like, 
that's hard to answer because shit, they could be shit sitting in a field just staring out into the sky and boom, an idea hits them. And now that's a top, that's a hit. So now is that productive or non-productive laying out in the field? You know, that's the artistic um, way to look at it. Whereas I don't think horse trainers could just go sit out in the field and, and expect their horses to get better, you know, like, so they all, they both have work ethic. Yes. Um, but I think the end goal, the result that they're after requires a different discipline, different practice. Have you ever read uh, the book Big Magic by, I think her name's Elizabeth Gilbert, the lady that wrote Eat, Pray, Love? Big Magic. What does it have to do mm. with Eat, Pray, Love? Uh, the lady that wrote Eat, Pray, Love wrote this book called Big Magic. Oh, no, sir. I've never even, I wrote it down. I'll look it up when we get off here, but I haven't read it. You know, it's it's very cool because she talks about the she talks about the artistic process, and she talks about you know how you said those artists might sit out in the field and look at the clouds, and then and boom, an idea hits them. She talks about where those ideas come from, and she tells a story in that book to where she'd written Eat, Pray, Love, and now she was a famous author, and she was a fan of another famous author, even though she'd never met her, and they both met at a like a writer's conference where they were presenting at something one weekend. And so, hey, how you going? I'm a fan of you. And she's like, yeah, I'm a fan of you too. And they kind of hug and mm-hmm. spend the weekend together. And, and then for the next two years, they don't, write, they don't um, write emails, they don't text each other, they don't phone call, they write letters to each other for the next two years. And she had this idea that she was going to write this book and the whole storyline was there's this family in Canada, uh, it's a father and son, they have an oil drilling business up there and then there's a girl who works in the office, runs the whole business and the son decides he wants to go to South America to look for oil. So he goes to South America but he disappears, I don't hear from him and the father can't leave the business alone to go look for him so the, the lady that runs the office, she decides to go to South America to look for him. and adventure ensues that's that's the book she's got in her mind but she never really did write it she just kind of I don't know just couldn't bring herself to do it and then kind of it all fizzled out so she hasn't seen this other lady for two years and they meet up somewhere and and Elizabeth Gilbert says to her so what are you what are you doing she goes I've just the other lady says I've just finished my new book and Elizabeth Gilbert says what is it about and the lady says well, it's about this father and son that have an oil, oil business in Canada and there's a girl that runs the office and blah, 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 and tells exactly the same story that Elizabeth Gilbert was going to write and didn't write. And Elizabeth That's said, wild. Elizabeth said, so how long have you had that idea? She goes, oh, the other lady said, oh, it came to be about the same time we met. And Elizabeth Gilbert, in this book, she's trying to say that there's magic to creativity. And she said, if you get given the gift of creativity, if you get given an idea and you don't act upon it, the universe will take it away and give it to someone else. And she says, I'm pretty sure that when we hugged, when we first met at that writers' conference thing, that I lost that idea because it had been, I'd been wandering around with it for three or four years and hadn't done anything with it and it got taken away from me. And later in the book, he, she talks about musicians who had the same experience like in their head they'll write a melody in their head and they'll kind of write a song in their head but they don't actually write it down on paper or do anything with it and they'll be driving somewhere and a song their song will come on the radio (laughs) same music same lyrics same rhythm it's like that son of a bitch was in my head and stole my song but she's talking about how 
you get given these ideas and if you don't mm-hmm. use them, you know, it's, it's about the creative process is, is basically what it says. And she says, you know, right. I was always I was always a writer. She said, I've been a ranch hand. I've been a short order chef. I've been a house cleaner. I was always a writer, but I never really wanted to rely on writing for my, you know, put food on the table. But that doesn't mean I'm not a writer. You know, it's just about that pure artistic uh, thing, whether you whether you make a living at it or not. And I just, I was, yeah, it's a fascinating book. One of my favorite books to read. Actually. Yeah, that's wild, man. Um, so you, I was talking about how you've interviewed people who aren't horse trainers as well, and we're just talking about musicians. But one that really fascinated me that you've interviewed is Stephen Kotler. So when I did a, a when I did my book, pod, uh, my podcast on books that have influenced me, my favourite book I said in there was Stealing Fire by Jamie Wheel and Stephen Kotler. So how was that chatting with him? Man, I walked away from that interview just wishing I could talk to that guy every single day. It was, uh, he's an, another one of those that, that has just spent years and decades dedicated to mastering his craft, um, as a writer and also as a neuroscientist, like he's just a wealth of knowledge. And, uh, yeah, it was, uh, I'd love to, we, he had a hard stop at an hour and I could have kept going for another two or three years all day really you know so um yeah that's the thing man when i whenever i question like god uh, you know having bad days with the converse cowboy whatever i think about those times and it's like shit man i wouldn't mike roberts wouldn't have had the opportunity to sit down with stephen kotler for an hour and sit there and pick his brain you know out of my own curiosity and so um yeah, it just motivates me to keep going, being able to sit down with guys like that. And so you've you've read Stealing Fire? Yes, sir. Yeah, it's been some years what, now, but yeah. Do you remember, if, if you remember, what was your favorite part about that book? Mm, I'd have to go back and look at it, man. I couldn't answer that right now. That's the thing, and that's why I like the hard copy books. Um because I can't go back and look at them because I do highlight. Let's see. You can't. Can you see my camera or no? No, I can't see your camera. Oh, I was going to show you this book. I got Atomic Habits sitting here. and then, But I have each, like, pages are tabbed out. It's highlighted. I highlight in yellow the first time I read it. And then when I go back, I change the highlighter color. Um, it'll be orange the second time and then pink the next time. And so by the end of it, most of the books that I reread, um, it looks like a fucking rainbow. You know, um, but yeah, I, 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 that's why I do it because I will forget, like it's in there somewhere in my subconscious. Um, but to sit there and pull a quote out, I, I couldn't tell you, um, you know, from stealing fire, I couldn't tell you what, what stood out to me. You know, what's interesting that what you just said though, about the different colored, um, highlighters, I've never heard, I've never heard of doing that, but there's this guy I started following on youtube recently and he's he's pretty deep sort of a thinker um and he what he did was he he had this like dark night of the soul this existential crisis and spent three years just reading books voraciously like reading six hours a day sort of thing and highlighting stuff in these books and and he um so he has a youtube channel and he he talks about i'll tell you what his name is 
Uh, his last name's Thornton. What is his name here for you people at home? Jordan Thornton is his name. Inner Work. Jordan Thornton Inner Work is the um, his YouTube channel, Holistic Teachings and Esoteric Practices for Self-Knowledge, Self-Healing and Self-Expression. Uh, but anyway, he held this book up to the screen and he says, and I, you know, what I did was I went down, I sat down and I read all these books and I highlighted stuff and he, he opened one of the books up and it had all these different coloured highlights in it. And I didn't even, I didn't even, I almost didn't even probably see the fact they were all different colours until you just said that. And I'm like, hey, that Jordan Thornton dude had the same thing. So, yes, yeah, so, <laughs> so you you find when you do that, you know, it's, it's kind of like 20-year-old you looks at a situation different than 30-year-old you, than 40-year-old you sort of thing. You find a lot of times when you go back and read it a second time that your different things jump out at you and you're highlighting something different than you were highlighting the first time. Oh, for sure. Like I'll bring up Jose Cruz again, horse trainer that was in here yesterday. Um, he said, you know, so, some he'll he's constantly seeking advice, and he said the right advice has to hit you at the right time, right? Like the right advice has to get to you at the right time because you could get the right advice at the wrong time, and it just goes over your head. And so, yeah, I find that with books. Like I'll go back and reread it, and I'm like, holy shit, I completely missed this. You know, and so that's where that other color highlighter comes out. And uh, yeah, like your perspective changes. It, 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 what you're focused on at that time may change. Your awareness changes. So what you pick up on now, you may have overlooked five years ago. Me, anyway. yeah, some other people may catch it all uh, every time, but that, that's just the way my brain works. No, I think I think that's a very common thing. I think you can only see what you're ready to see, and as you, you know, you start look at things differently, different things, uh, different things will jump out at you. Right. So uh, another guest that you had on the podcast who was not a horse guy was a fellow named Kevin Kelly, and so Kevin Kelly ran a sub four minute mile, and he's one of sixteen hundred and sixty three people to ever do that. Um, how did you, how did you come across Kevin Kelly? Isn't that wild to think that somebody can run a sub four minute mile? You've right. heard of the, you've heard of the banister effect? Mm-hmm. Yep. Once he did it, yeah. other people could do it. It's so crazy. Um, so how did I come across Kevin Kelly? So there was a little fun run. My office is caddy corner to a local brewery and they do like a little 5k on Thursdays, you know, throughout the year. And, uh, and so I run, um, and I didn't know who he was at the time. And this quote, fun run, uh, we're pushing a six minute pace, you know, and I'm like, and trying to talk to this kid, he's from Ireland and, uh, you know, just kind of hearing his story as I'm trying not to pass the fuck out. And, uh, and yeah, come to find out, I talked to some other guys in our running group. And uh, they're like, yeah, that's Kevin Kelly. That's the guy we were telling you about, the sub four-minute miler. And I'm like, holy shit. It would have been good to know that information before we started the fun run. Um, but, yeah, we so we went and had beers after that. He, was, he had been following the podcast, and uh, he had questions for me. And I, of course, had a bunch of questions for him. And uh, just in that, that night, I was like, dude, I got to have you on the show, man. I want to dig more into this. And so few months later we set it up and got him on the show 
Yeah, I, a lot of a lot of my podcast guests, I've I've met them somewhere, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to have this person on the on 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 the show, you know? Um, right. You know, so yeah, sometimes they're horse, right? Like a lot of those. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, sometimes they're horse people, but sometimes it's totally totally random, you know? Yeah, and sometimes like there's there's it happens rarely but when it does i wish i had a microphone and a recorder there for those conversations you know and a lot of times it's it's for an interview that i have and all the good stuff either gets said before the mics come on or after the mics go off yeah that's pretty common like yeah i i kind of stopped having too much of a conversation with people before i start the podcast i did with you today because i basically we know nothing about each other but because I've had the best podcast that I didn't record in in the yep. just the, con, the just the conversation before the the before the podcast, you know, because it's it's pretty real, it's pretty authentic, and I tell you what, I've had people on the podcast who are hugely fascinating people that as soon as and you have this great conversation, and then you press the start button and you go, "Welcome to the Journey on Podcast," and they kind of look at you and they go. Well, hello. <laughs> a minute ago, this, you know, this stuff was just flowing out of them. Yeah. And, then, you know, totally it's, it, man. and it's so weird. I mean, you, I don't know how big a social media following you have, but it's, it's so weird people's perception of you. You know, I'm, I'm just me and I like to chat to people and have interesting conversations or whatever, but because people listen to you on the podcast, you know, listen to the podcast, when they, the average person they meet you, they, they kind of get that bit of a fangirly look. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, for quite a long time, it's, it's weird. And I, I probably, <laughs> it's, probably, it's probably no less weird, but, I do, but I, do get, I do get where they're coming from because you, you tend to, um, you know, assign meaning to somebody that's, you just project onto them what you what you think they are, you know what I mean? But it's just, yes, it's, it's kind of weird when you you encounter that. Yeah. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, so there's Kevin Kelly. He's Irish, is he? Yeah. He's from Ireland. He's from Ireland. He just, he just happened to move to Monroe, Louisiana. Really? Does he have a translator? (laughs) He needs one. He needs one. Um, no, he, he uh he's he's coaching there at the or helping coach there at the university. Oh really? I was gonna say, you know, coming from Ireland, moving to Louisiana and being a runner, you know, going from a cold, windy place to a hot, humid place, it's gotta be a bit of a, a challenge. Yeah. Yeah. I don't I don't know. I'd be curious to know if there's ever been a sub four minute mile ran in Louisiana. As, so has he has he done it multiple times? No, I, I believe it was just that one. Yep, just that one time. And was he was he trying to run us like we're trying to set this thing up? I'm going today. I'm going to run a four minute mile, or it just so happened that he one day he ran a four minute mile. Do you know that? No, yeah, he set it up, and and it was on a track, and and there were other people there. Other people, you know, did did the same thing that day, and. Uh, 
yeah, it was just crazy to hear the training and the preparation that went into it. And then it was like the night before, I think he said he had three or four beers, as I guess anybody from Ireland would do. Um, that was and yeah, he just, went and, he just went and did the damn thing, you know? And like, yeah, I watched the video and uh, like, yeah, he was breathing hard afterwards, but like it wasn't what I would imagine, you know, like I would probably be in the fetal position, like doubled over, you know, I think about that too. Like when we, we'll do track work, we do workouts on uh, Wednesdays at the track and just doing like a 200 meter, 400 meter workout. And I'm like, holy shit. Like he maintained this pace for, for a mile. And it just, it really puts it into perspective. Yeah. So, um, you probably wish you had known that before you started running beside him and doing a 5K and trying to have a conversation. Yeah, for sure. What do they call for that in sure. running terms? That There's a term for a speed that – what do they call it? There's a, there's a speed you can run at that they have a name for it, but it's the, the speed you can run at and um, maintain a conversation. What's the name of that, do you know? I don't know, but we do it. I mean, every day we run, I mean, we're going to run five plus miles. You know, five is just like the low end. Um, we'll do 10 mile Fridays and, but we're talking the whole time. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what the name of that is, but. Huh. So we, who's we? So we is me and the, the running group that I, that I found out about in, um, in Monroe, Louisiana. And so, it's interesting whenever you do go into something like I started running, I read a book called uh, can't hurt me by David Goggins. And mm -hmm. uh, I, I never was just a big fan of running like in college. I, I did like some amateur boxing when I got out of, you know, got done playing baseball just to find something competitive to do. And uh, of course you, you want, it's in your best interest to be in the best shape you can be in um, when you're in the ring and somebody else is throwing their fist at you. Um, so I got into running then, but not like I am now. And, uh, I would, I would always just make the excuse like, well, nobody, nobody around here runs. Nobody's into that. Um, until I started doing it and then like different doors started to open more opportunities, you know, with the running came along and, and then I just fell in with, with this group and they're a bunch of badasses that ran, they all ran in college and, uh, just a, positive motivating group to be a part of and uh yeah it, and and i never in my wildest dreams thought i would enjoy running but yeah i i truly i i got i got heavy into it was doing some races and uh now it's more of i just fit it in for my own sanity and your uh your knees are holding up good <laughs> yeah knees are good man were you one of those guys that just loved training or did you train because you wanted to be good at the game, but the training you could give or take? I loved practice. I love, I love practice. I loved uh, hitting and the workout part would be the second part of what you just said. I did that so I could be a better baseball player. Yeah, I didn't much care for the the conditioning, early morning conditioning, workout, weight room. Uh, yeah, yeah. But on so the field, did, loved it. 
So how'd you go with the boxing then? Because that's a lot of work like that too. It was a very short career. Very, very short career. I think I only had uh, two amateur fights, and then I got invited to do, in Louisiana it's called, uh, I think in Texas they call it Guns and Hoses, where the firemen fight the police. Uh, Battle of the Badges is what it's called. And so they were short of fire. No, they were short of policemen. So I, I fought on the police side. It was fun. But man, that shit hurts though, man. The, the training, sparring, all of that. I still enjoy it. I have a heavy bag in my barn, speed bag, all of those things. I love jumping rope. Um, that, again, like it was just, it was more of like the locker room vibe in that, in that gym, you know, that, that I was addicted to. I think that's why I went in that dark place. Um, not only was I identifying as a baseball player, but you lost that camaraderie. You lost the locker room. You lost all of your, your guys that were around you. You know, that essentially became your tribe. There was no, you know, I never understood the fraternity game. Um, that was our fraternity. And uh, so, yeah, then they pull that from you and you're, you're on the island all by yourself. So I think that had something to do with the boxing. Like it was fun going in the gym. Um, yes, training, you're getting healthy, you're doing all those things, but just hanging out and being a part of something. Right. Ken, we, you've mentioned it a few times, so hopefully we can go there because I've talked a fair bit on the podcast about mine. Um, you keep mentioning uh, being in a dark place. How did, you, uh, how did you help yourself out of your dark places? So the Yes, we can absolutely go anywhere. Like I'm an open book. Um, the first one, I, I, I don't really know. I was just unaware, just kind of going through the motions, trying to find my way. The second one was uh, I went through a divorce, and I, I just, I did a whole lot of soul searching, and uh, yeah, I, I just, I, I remember, man, I, I moved out of my house. We had 300 acres, built the house together. Did the whole thing. You know, I, I had what, what society would consider success, right? Had a great job, six figures, company car, uh, pretty wife. They, her family had a business. It was, it was, from the outside looking in, it was great. Um, but something deep down, like I knew it wasn't right. And I, I look back on it with gratitude. Like I'm grateful she had the courage to be like, hey, dude, like this isn't working. <laughs> this isn't. This isn't it. And I think it was one of those like, okay, I'm I'm 30 now and this is the next step. You get married and this is uh, this is it. You know, this is what you're supposed to do. And uh, so, yeah, I remember, man, I moved out. I moved into a little apartment and it was like just white walls, like a damn hospital. And I would just go through the motions of life, dude. Like I would go to work. I'd come home. I would eat like a TV dinner. It's like something out of a movie, you know. I ate like a TV dinner and just feel sorry for myself. Didn't want to talk to anybody. Some days it was just hard to get out of bed and uh, and do anything, to get motivated to do anything. And I just started reading. I started reading a lot of different books. Um, and I think that, you know, that along with some guidance, I joined a deal called Fit for Service, um, Aubrey Marcus that owns on it down in, in Austin. Mm. He started it. Mm. And um, that year, 
that was the year that kind of, not kind of, that is the year that it broke me out of that, you know, because here's the deal. Like I, I was depressed. I was doing, I didn't know it at the time. I didn't know that was what that was called, but I was depressed more so my ego was depressed, right? Like I was, I feared what other people may think of, you know, me in the fact that that relationship didn't work out or I, you know, I feared, um, that I wasn't presenting quote perfect to the rest of the world. And, uh, and I learned there's a book called the way to love and it talks a lot about attachments, you know, and, um, attachment being seeking anything outside of you for like external validation, you know, whether it's material things, people, relationships, anything outside of you. And so through a lot of inner work, man, a lot of soul searching and inner work, um, I, that's why I focus so much on gratitude and I talk so much about it now um, because, yeah, like I look back on it and it's like, it's easy to see now. You know, at that time, it was just so dark and gray, and, like, I just didn't know. I And I was scared to talk to anybody uh, about it. I, I was only, if I did talk to somebody, I was just wanting to hear what I wanted to hear. You know what I mean? And so um, it's so clear now, and I, I see people in my situation. I see people in the situation that I was in then, and I try to help them out, but it's one of those, like, nobody could have helped me out. Like, I just had to figure it out on my own. Like, I had to, um, I had to put in the work to really uh, get over all of that. And, and I, I talk about that now, like, with mental health. Um, people want to throw that around very loosely, and they want to throw anxiety around, depression around. Like, th- that's a thing. It's a real thing, and I understand people are clinically diagnosed with that, but it's no different than physical fitness. Like, if you don't go to the gym, you're not going to be fit. If you don't go run, you're not going to be fit. Like, if you don't put in the work, you're not going to reap any benefit from it. it it's the same for the mental side of it, you know. Uh, for me, like, mindfulness practices are huge. I can tell a difference when I meditate, when I don't. I can tell a difference when I do cold plunges and when I don't. I can tell a difference when I journal and when I don't. And so... All of those things uh, combined like, is what brought me out of that, along with just being vulnerable and being raw, and, and hence the Converse Cowboy. That, got, that was born shortly after that time, and so it was one of those, like, I learned I've got to be comfortable in uncomfortable situations. Like, uh, that is where the growth lies for me. If I fear it, I think there's a quote that says... I, I don't think I know there's a quote. I just I don't know that I know it to quote it. But uh, the cave you fear, the cave you fear to enter holds the treasures treasures you seek. And I think that's so true because um, anytime I've been faced with an uncomfortable situation and I do show up and I deliver um, with courage, then there's always a great outcome on the other side of it. And so. Yeah, I I'm gonna stop there, but yeah, that that was that was it in in a nutshell. So, uh, how long you been doing the the ice baths? About that same year. I don't know. It's been a few years now. 
Did you do it now? And if I don't have a cold plunge to get into, I'll I'll just turn the shower on the cold. Mm. You do you do them as yep. regularly as you can? Yeah, as much as I can. You ever yeah, played around with long, any of that stuff? Yeah, yeah. For quite a long time, I had a chest freezer that I'd sealed up and stuff, and had it in the garage oh, nice. here, and I'd have, I'd have uh, cold plunges every day. And my wife used to look at me like, "There's no way I'd do that." And but she, you know, my wife re- listens to lots of podcasts, and she just kept hearing enough stuff about um, the benefits, the, the the cold plunges, and I did it for mental health benefits. You know, um, really good to reset your dopamine levels and stuff like that but so my wife's really into being physically healthy okay and so i was doing it for mental health but she started listening to all these podcasts and i was telling her about the the physical health benefits of the cold plungers and so and i hadn't i hadn't had that chest freezer filled up with water for a while because i got to the point to where oh you know, don't cold plunge. I just walked down the hall out into the garage and I could hop in and it wasn't a big deal. So I, it was no longer a challenge. So I kind of stopped doing it. And then my wife decided she wants to do it. So we, we filled this chest freezer up and we just filled it up. The first time she did one, we filled it up with just water out of the tap. So I think the water was like 76 degrees or something or other, room temperature water. And she got in and you'd have thought she was in the Antarctica. Like she thought that was cold. And so she started at 76, then the next, so we turn it on, you know, and then the next day or two, she's 72, and then she's 68, then she's 62, then she's 58, then she's low 50s. But then she reads that you don't really stimulate the vagus nerve until you get below 45. And so she says, that's where we've got to get to, we've got to get to 45. And well, I'd always had mine about 48 when I'd been having them. And there's a difference between 48 and 45. But when I first started back up again, when she was doing them, my first one at 45, I think I jumped out. I, I don't know. I think my brain went, no, and, and I and I jumped really? out. But my wife, when she gets into something, she gets into it. And so now she's actually got a – she's bought a professionally made unit and um, is um, – qual- uh, she's got a qualification to lead – you know, she went to one of those institutes and got a qualification to lead people through ice baths. And so last uh, – October in San Antonio, we had our first Journey on Podcast Summit. So we had a, it was a three-day summit. We had 250 people there and we had 22 presenters who were 22 of the the first year's podcast guests. And it was, it was a pretty amazing experience, actually. Everybody rocked their A-game. Everybody, all the presenters rocked it. But my wife had found a wellness studio in San Antonio and rented it at night time. And that, so on the Saturday night and the Sunday night, she led two different groups of 12 people through their first uh, ice bath. And right on. it was, it was, a, and I helped her a bit too. They had two ice baths in this, in this thing. So we'd kind of go two at a time. One was at 45 and one was at 52 or something rather. So I helped the people through the less cold one. But what was amazing was just watching those, People, um, you know, they get in there and their face is terrified. And about the yeah. 35, 40 second mark, they get this, they get this look come over their face like, not only am I surviving, I'm thriving. And it's it's pretty amazing to to watch that transition. You know, my wife did the same thing the first time she had 
quite a cold ice bath, you know, like quite cold for her. It was probably about 48 or something. And she got in it and you could tell she was freezing to death. And I was just coaching her through it, just focus on your out breath, just slow out breath, slow in for four, out for eight. And at some point in time, the switch flipped for her and I could see she turned it into a competition. And she was like, I got hmm. this bitch. <laughs> I can do that. And, that, and, and that was the day she was hooked. It's like, oh, yeah, it's me versus the cold every day. Um, we don't get as cold here in California as they do down there, but we've been having outside ones this winter. We just put a big Rubbermaid trough out in the patio, and, and uh, I don't know where you do them, but there's something different about doing them outside in nature with the sun on your face. I'm not saying it's warm because it might be, you know, 32 degrees outside, but there's something about um, being outside in nature when you're doing them that's totally different than being in the garage. I don't know if you've done them outside or not. Right on, like in, in lakes. I've done them in lakes, and, I, yeah, I know what you mean. I actually – I was in Argentina recently, and I got in a, um, a lake that has a – what's that thing called? A glacier. There you go. Thank you. <laughs> it has oh, icebergs yeah. and glaciers in it. And it was, I'm guessing it was mid-30s, but it was pleasant. It was so, oh, it was just a gorgeous experience. Just, you know, you don't feel the, you don't feel the cold. You know, you know what it's like once you get good at ice baths, it's just a strong sensation, yep. but you, you don't judge yep. it as hot or cold or, or whatever. Um, you said, when you mentioned something about your ice baths in that, when you were chatting there a minute ago, you said something reminded me of, so when we did that podcast summit in San Antonio last year, my wife had two of her good friends come along and help, like, check people in and things like that. And one of them said, I am not going to do an ice bath. There's no, I've got no interest at all in doing an ice bath. And someone said, oh, you're scared. And she said, no, I'm not scared. I just don't like being cold. And I said to her, <laughs> actually, you are scared of being cold. And the thing about exposing yourself to that over and over and over is after a while when you get comfortable with being uncomfortable you're not scared of it anymore and i think that's kind of what you were trying to trying to get at when you push yourself to those things um that you end up yeah you you, that when you get comfortable with being uncomfortable it's not uncomfortable anymore yeah that's so true yeah it's just a yeah it's just a uh uh, yeah, it's just a you know, it's a it's it's a, it's a mindset. So, what got you into the into the cold plunges? When did you start that? That would have been through that fit for service. That was oh, part okay, of, okay, uh, yep. That was part of the deal. So, what that what that deal consisted of is, I believe we would have like a weekly chat, like a live chat on Instagram. We had four summits a year where the whole group was hundred hundred people from all over the world and. uh we would meet up in, in four different places throughout the year and um, it just and we'd have monthly reads, so it'd be a monthly book um, to read. And uh, yeah, that's where I learned about the, the cold therapy. Really? Um so that's Aubrey Marcus's deal? Aubrey Marcus, yeah. Yeah. Did you um, so did they do at those when you do those things four times a year, did you do any holotropic breath work? We did, yeah. Man, that was wild. How cool is that? We did that one. 
We did that one. Yeah, it was either in Sedona or L.A. I can't or Malibu. I'm sorry. I think it was in Malibu. Dude, that was wild, man. I had never done anything like that, and uh, and I and I I've done LSD. I've done mushrooms. I've done ayahuasca. That deal, which is crazy. Like that took me to another planet, man. And it that was what's what's crazy is that it's free, and it was just your own breathing, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was an hour. We did one hour. It was a guided uh, breathwork session, and uh, yeah, man, it was it was amazing. Yeah, I I've done it once, and it was at it was actually at an ayahuasca ceremony in Florida. Went to a few years ago, and the best thing about the whole ayahuasca ceremony was the fact we did the holotropic breathwork one afternoon. I thought it was really? way better than the way better than the ayahuasca. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> I, I would have to agree. Based on my own ayahuasca experience, I, I think the breathwork was way better. Was your ayahuasca experience, um, like, so there was 50 of us at this thing in, in Florida, um, and some of those people, you know, the day after, they were walking around, there was like light shining out of their face, like they were beaming. And, you know, some people had the most amazing experience. Did you have... That was your ayahuasca experience. Was it like the absolute life-changing experience or was it like, yeah, that was that was part of my journey? No, I wish I could say uh, it was the life-changing thing. But, no, I, I did mine down in the Amazon and uh, it was just me and, a, and another girl from Australia and, and a guy from New York. And, uh, no, it was very... I think the reason why my ayahuasca experience wasn't great is because I, I didn't really trust the guy doing it. I didn't trust the shaman, and my mm. guard was up the whole time. And so I recommend if anybody's going to do that, uh, and I did vet it. I did vet it, but uh, go, uh, go, go off of like a referral basis. Like you don't want to have to worry um, or, you know, that you're in a sketch place. And so... I, I think that interfered with with the whole deal. Yeah, you've got to be able you've got to be able to uh, let go. Uh, one of my yeah. podcast guests is a lady named Karen Rolf. She's from Florida, trains horses, and she was telling us about her her ayahuasca experience. And she, you know, she went she actually went to the same place I went to. And you do three ceremonies: one on Saturday night, one no, sorry, one on sorry. One uh, Friday night, one Saturday lunchtime, one Saturday night, and she had some amazing experiences. The the, the first two, and so the the third one, she um, she thought, oh, I'm not, I don't, I'm not going to do. It. Oh yeah, okay, I'll, I'll I'll do it. So yeah, okay. So she takes the, the ayahuasca, and and at, I don't know if, if they do it in the Amazon, but at the one I went to, after an hour they ring a bell, and if you feel like you're not getting anywhere, you can put your hand up and they'll bring you around another dose. And she said she was laying there and, like, nothing's going on. And they rang the bell. She thought, yeah, maybe I'll – no, I probably should go a bit deeper. Maybe I'll have another dose. So she said I sat up and put my hand up. And as soon as I sat up and put my hand up and basically let go, said, yes, I want to go deeper, the first dose that she took hit her like a ton of bricks, hit her like a lightning Mm. bolt and – and off she went. But so oh, that's awesome. it, it was her it was her rejection, not rejection of but but she hadn't she wasn't all in with that dose that she had. She was like, oh, I'm not really possibly gonna do this. And when she finally decided, yes, 
they want to go deep. She didn't need any more medicine. The medicine, like she allowed them, she allowed the medicine to do it, to yeah. do it, uh, to to run its course. So, how, do you think? Do you think the the psychedelics have been good for you as far as as depression and things like that, as far as your mental health? Oh, for sure, for sure. I mean, I I really didn't start um, playing around with that stuff until after I had. Uh, somewhat overcame all of that on my own. Um, but yeah, for sure, man, like the, I, I will microdose from time to time and, and every now and then just take a full blown dose of, of mushrooms. Haven't done it in, in quite some time. Um, but I always find it very beneficial and I always do it alone. Like I always, I'm never, I don't want to be around anybody. I just want to be by myself and it's very intentional, very much like a ceremony. Um, you know, I know some people, they take it and go to parties or whatever, like that, and that's fine, um, but that's not what I use it for. Yeah, I've only done one um, God Does Mushrooms, which was a, you know, I had a guide, so it was a, it was a whole yeah. day thing where I had, a, I actually had a, a husband and a wife guide me. It was, it was really, really cool because, like, when you needed a feminine energy, you could have the, the wife and she was there with you and then when i needed the masculine energy i could have him come over and sit there with me and yeah it was it was that's it was awesome cool. i i can't imagine doing that stuff though for fun like no, none of the psychedelics i've ever done have been the slightest bit fun but they all have <laughs> been very healing and a big part of my journey but it's not like oh yeah i did that, that that's fun it's like shit you've got to, it's like you know, it's like fighting Mike Tyson or something like that. You're going to like, okay, am I actually going to do this? It's, yeah, I've, I've not yeah. got it to be, to be fun at all. I can't imagine it being fun. Yeah, because once you're in it, like you're in it, there's no getting out. You can't just uh, get off the, the train. No, you can't get off the train. I'll tell you what, I've, we have – so when we, when we went to that um, wellness studio in San Antonio – during our podcast summit last year. So we rented out the studio for the, the two nights that we were doing it, you know, so they were closed and we show up and and we only rented it for the ice baths, but they have they have red light therapy, they have Swedish saunas, they have um, infrared saunas, they have massage chairs, they have compression suits, like the game-ready stuff. But then they said, oh, we've got this thing called the Pandora Star. And I'm like, Pandora Star, what's that? And they mm. said it's it's a it's a meditation device. And I'm like, mm, I'm interested. And so you go in this little room, and it's this, it's round, it's a round thing. It's about five inches across, I guess, and it looks like a shower head. Um, and it's got these LED lights in it, and it's on like a uh, like a camera stand, and you, you kind of lay in this recliner, and that light is probably four feet from your face, sort of thing. And they put headphones on you. They say, close your eyes. And what happens is you close your eyes. And so this Pandora star flashes all these bright LED lights through your eyelids. And it can have kind of a psychedelic effect, depending on, you know, there's like 50 programs or something in this thing. Like one of them is called Acid Squirrel, and it actually is like psychedelics. I'm like, sign me up. Hit me up. (laughs) And so I'm sitting in a chair in a room. I close my eyes, put these earphones on, close my eyes, they start that thing, 
and you are immediately in a full-blown psychedelic experience. Like it is no different than it's all the same fractals and and it's all it's almost the same ego death thing to where I feel like I'm gonna die. Like not I'm gonna die as in my physical body's gonna die, but I'm leaving it. I'm no longer in it. But the thing about this thing right. is you can like open your eyes and sit up. You don't want to look at those lights because I blind you, but you can like if it's too much for you, you can just open your eyes and sit up. So, yeah, we um we end up buying one after that because it's a it's a yeah it's it's pretty crazy. But you get to have that full on psychedelic experience without without psychedelics. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah, pretty pretty crazy. But um, the uh, Aubrey Marcus thing sounds cool. I want to hear more about that. So you 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 went to yeah like check it out. Different- Four different places during the year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the first one was in Austin. Second one was Sedona, and then oh, we went down to Tulum, and then uh, Malibu was the last mm. one. Wow. Yeah. Um, and that yeah, when you sign up for that thing, do you, do you sign up for the whole year, and and all those are a part of it. Is that what it is? Yeah. Yeah, I think you had different options, but I just signed up for the year. Yep. Yeah, some of his stuff popped up somewhere recently. I was looking at it and thinking, hey, this dude's on some pretty cool stuff. I think I saw a video of one of the retreats, maybe the one. It looked, it could have been in Sedona because it certainly looked Sedona-ish. And they were, they were, I think they were doing some holotropic breath work in that video I saw. That's kind of why I asked you that. Right on. Okay, what other questions have I got to ask you? Um, are you what's your plans with? With the uh, Instagram account and the podcast, do you, you you think you're going to kind of keep going in the same vein as you have been, or are you going to change colors with your highlighter and you've done the yellow highlighting and now you're going to do some orange highlighting? <laughs> yeah, we kind I kind of have uh, last year. You know, I got away from doing the video interviews um, where I used to tow a camera crew with me, and uh, and so I would set up interviews for like one week out of the month, and we'd go knock out six or seven interviews in a week, you know, and doing two. And some, I remember one time we did three interviews in a day, and I just, I got somewhat burnt out, and I felt like I was just like checking a box, uh, inter- filling interview spots. And um, so last year I, I did away with the camera crew, and I just, I'm doing audio only now because I did a poll from the audience, the listeners, and shit, man, even if they were watching it, I think most of them were just, they put it on YouTube and then just set their phone down as they drove down right. the road, you know? Yeah. Um, and so it's, I'm, I'm more, uh, I guess, nimble with that. It's, it's, uh, a lot easier to do and, uh, and I'm enjoying it. And so, yeah, I've got that going and I, I am gonna, I'd like to get more into the rodeo scene this year, get some rodeo, um, athletes on the show and, uh, I did a little bit of that with Kimes this past year at the NFR. We, we, I sat down with some of their rodeo athletes that, that had made it to Vegas and really enjoyed it, man. I just I love that that dynamic. And so I'm going to go down that road and, yeah, continue to do authors, musicians, um, you know, typical Converse Cowboy stuff. And, uh, again, like I said, I got the newsletter that we, I just started, and so that will be coming out uh, weekly. That's awesome. So how do, how do people sign up for your newsletter? Well, there's a link in my bio and in the Instagram bio, also in Facebook. 
and uh, they just click on that link and plug in your email. Uh, what about do you have you have a website as well? Yes, sir. ConverseCowboy.com. And what is what are you on Facebook? You know, I don't even know. It was weird. I, for some reason, I think Converse Cowboy was taken. But if you search the Converse Cowboy, you'll you should find it. Let me. I've got it right here. Let me have a look, and we'll do a little bit of searching in the middle of the podcast. Okay, it is. It's the Converse Cowboy, is it? I think so. That's one of those like it's kind of been like the stepchild, man. Like the content I put on Instagram just carries over to Facebook, and I haven't really given much attention to it. So it's interesting to see that it's grown the way it has, and I haven't really given much attention to that platform. Yeah, when I put in the Converse Cowboy into Facebook, it just comes up as the podcast. It doesn't. Uh, oh, oh, really? We'll, 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 yeah, we'll figure that out, put it in the show notes anyway. So, um, yeah. Well, that's, been, not, that's awesome. Not. Well, you're not too big on Facebook? No, I was just going to say I'm not big on plugging myself. That's that's the thing about this is it's the same with this this podcast. You know, this is called the Journey on Podcast, and it's about it's about people's journeys and the trials and tribulations along the way. And what I like about it is everybody's had setbacks and everybody's had tough times and everybody has had self doubts and especially the self doubts. And and I think you know how you said when with your you know, when you're suffering from depression and you started, you know, sharing with people and, you know, th- there's something about being authentic about what's going on and sharing it with somebody else and getting positive feedback. You know, you, you, you tend to think they'd laugh at you, but you always get, yeah, me too. I totally get where you're coming from. I've had that. And so that's the thing. I That's why I ask so many questions on the podcast because if listeners can get the idea that they are not going it alone with whatever's going on with them. It gives you, you know, it gives you a, a, a bit of hope. And so, yeah, the, the, you know, the podcast, you know, I didn't call it the Warwick Shell podcast because it's not about me. I'm just, I start the podcast out saying, G'day, I'm welcome to the Journey of Podcast. I'm your host, Warwick Shell. I'm just the host of the whole thing. And it's, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so I totally get where you come from. Not, you're, not, you're not plugging you, you're, you're you're plugging a platform that's that's um, out there helping people, and and one of you know one of those things that you posted on Instagram, one of them is so, I and mean, they're all very true, but one of them that said, life has a funny way of giving grateful people even more things to be grateful for. I think when you, I think when you are grateful, you tend to help others. And give things, and I think when you, I think when you give things, you know, Tony Robbins talks about this. You know, I listened to a podcast with him one time, and he was talking about he had talked about there's five things you've got to have to be a complete human being, or whatever it is, you know. And he said, but then there's the sixth and the seventh thing, and they're harder. And number six is giving, and giving with no mm-hmm. expectation of getting anything back from it. He says that's that's like a game changer. And what I have found right. is when you can do that that's when you get given the even more things to be grateful for when you can when you can give in whatever way you can give and i'm not saying you know you've got to sell your house and give the money to somebody or anything like that but give in whatever ways that you can contribute to the world 
and do it for the doing of it, not for the anything you might get back from it. Because it's pretty easy for people to go, oh, I'm going to start doing this because then I'll start getting this. And I and I don't. It's it's almost like that Elizabeth Gilbert's um, big magic book. You know, I don't think it works that way. It doesn't work if you say I'm going to start giving so I can start getting. The 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 mm-hmm. giving is not received by the. I, I really think. I mean, there's some woo woo stuff, but I think that. The giving is not received by the universe in the same way if you give because you think you're going to get something out of it. Yeah, that's uh, that's called manipulation, and uh, I think there is there there is a universal law. It's called the law of reciprocity, and uh, I've seen it in my life. And in whether you're giving time or you're giving uh, monetary value, you will get that back, and I've seen it tenfold. Uh, or more, you know, but yeah, the giving has to come. There cannot be an intention uh, or an expectation of receiving because you are giving, right? It's a, it's counterintuitive. And I hear people say all the time, well, whenever I get this much money, well, then I'll start giving. And it's like, no, man, that, that that's not the way it works. I feel like money just magnifies the person that you already are, Right. So even if you only can give a dollar, give a dollar, you never know like who that's going to impact or how it's going to impact somebody else. And so I have a reminder in my phone that says donate money. I, I have to remind myself donate money. And there's times where I don't want to do it because funds could be tight or, you know, are tight. But you do it anyway. And I don't know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's like a freedom, really. Um, because the universe, I feel like this may be too woo-woo for people, but the universe, if you're holding too tight to the money, why is the universe going to give you more? Uh, don't worry about being too woo-woo on my podcast. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we, we go to some pretty crazy places on my podcast. Right on, right on. I was just flipping, while you were telling me that, I was just flipping through your Instagram while I was listening to you there. Yeah, there's so many of these things that are like you could you could talk for an hour on each one of these things. Um, and you were just talking about if you can only give a dollar, give a dollar. And I flipped upon the one that says every action you take is a vote for the type of person you wish to become. Yeah. James Clear. More James Clear, is it? Yeah, I told you. I mean, I've been nerding out on him here lately. Uh, yeah, I've I know that book is somewhere in this house, or maybe it's in a box mm-hmm. out in the barn now, but I do have that book, but I've, I've, I've not read it. You know, a lot of the books, or some of the books that I've read in the last probably 10 years, my wife used to be in, in HR, and um, some of those books we had because they were HR-type books, like she got them for for that, and it's funny how I, you know, they ended up being books that they're not, they, they didn't, they didn't used to be the type of books I would read. But yeah, like funny how they ended up. Those are the kind of books. I just, I just saw another one of your posts here, and this one's so awesome. I've had a lot of worries in my life, most of which never happened. Yeah, I think that's Mark Twain. Yeah, you don't, you don't. I don't know if it says in the comments. No, it doesn't say in the comments who said. Oh, no, it says Mark Twain quote. There we go. Mark Twain quote. There we go. 
How's about that? Yeah, we could talk quotes all day. Hey, it's been awesome chatting with you, mate. Um, so we've told people where to find your, your what is it, Thursday Thinkings? Is that what they were called? Thursday Thoughts newsletter. Thursday Thoughts. I was close. The Thursday Thoughts newsletter and Converse Cowboy on Instagram and on YouTube. So, yeah, I think you're doing a doing a great thing out there. And, and uh, I think anybody that can get people to look at life just a bit differently and come back with a different colored highlighter next time, I'm going to keep that, <laughs> that story too. I love that. Um, I love yeah, it. I, I, I love, yeah, that's going to be my new saying. Come back with a new colored highlighter, you know. I'm a huge fan of of the Wayne Dyer quote when you change the way you look at things the things you look at change and like yeah Yeah. come back with a different colored highlighter that's awesome I love it well thanks mate thank you so much for joining me and taking the time to uh to come on here and and uh, yeah keep doing what you're doing anybody that's out there helping change the world I I'm all for it and very grateful thank you man and same to you same to you. Uh, I appreciate what you're doing. I'm sure there's a number of other people out there that, that would say the same thing. So keep doing what you're doing, my friend. Awesome. Thanks so much. And for you guys at home listening, thanks for listening. And we'll catch you on the next episode of the Journey On Podcast. Thanks for being a part of the Journey On Podcast with Warwick Schiller. Warwick has over 850 full-length training videos on his online video library at videos.warwickschiller.com. Be sure to follow Warwick on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram to see his latest training advice and insights.